been through the book of Acts, uh, just about. So uh, to me it's exciting, number one, because we've gotten to study and to see at least one of the gospel accounts in Mark where uh, Jesus is tirelessly uh, traveling and serving all of the people that he comes into contact with. And we see not just a person serving God, but Jesus said, I came to do the will of the Father. Everything that, the, that my Father has sent me to do, I have accomplished. And so he didn't just come to, to do a bunch of good stuff, but in the actions and in the words of Jesus Christ, we see God incarnate. We see him doing exactly what his Father's heart is to do. So we see how, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, read the Gospels. It's right in there. This is how Jesus would interact with you and I. And so we have all kinds of different uh, stories about what he's done. And we have, you know, testimonies of what he said. And more than that, in the end of the book of John, it says that all that Jesus did, not everything was written down. And John actually said, if, if we would write down everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough pages in any book that you've ever seen to be able to write it all down. There was so much that he had done. And we see tons of it in the gospel accounts, but we don't see all of it. And so in the book of Acts, then we traveled on and, and Luke writes there in Acts chapter 1. He says there, uh, talking about the reason that he's writing the book of Acts. He says, in the former account I made, writing to his owner, because he was a doctor, but he was a slave, to the man named, by the name of Theophilus. And he says, the former account I made of all that Jesus began both to do and teach the day, uh, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he says, this former account that I wrote, the book of Luke, it, it was really just what Jesus had began to both do and teach. It was the, the beginning. Now we read the gospel accounts and we go, well, that was all Jesus did because look, he died. But what Luke writes is that those were the things that he began to do and teach because though he went to the Father, he said, I'm going to send you the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit, who will now, I, Jesus was stuck in a body, so he couldn't just go any possible, he could only be in one place at a time. Even though he was God, he was still 100% man. And so in the book of Acts, we see Jesus' continued work building the church. Jesus said, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the world goes, well, how can he build the church? He's dead. But we know based on the infallible proofs and the eyewitness accounts that Jesus not only is no longer dead, but he rose again and he revealed himself to over 500 people for 40 days. So his work was not finished. And the book of Acts is proof of that because they started there in Jerusalem, each one of the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and sent out through various means to reach other people and share the gospel with them who had not walked with Jesus, who had not met him personally. And it's interesting because now that we're at the end of the book of Acts, we see the pattern. He, they started in Jerusalem. They went to Judea and Samaria, which was the area surrounding Jerusalem. 
So on this map, they started here, they spread to here, and then they went to the ends of the known earth. Paul ends up traveling all these regions and planting churches in the major cities. And then he eventually ends up, we're going to see this week, in Rome testifying of Jesus because of false accusations. Now, the early church, when they started spreading, how did they spread? They spread not because they were like, hey, let's just go share the gospel. But they were comfortable in their little Christian holy huddle. And so the Lord allowed persecution to take place against those who believed in Christ so that they would move from the area that they were at. They started spreading out, not because they wanted to, but because they were being persecuted. And so God allowed what Satan used as an attack to get them to not believe in order to spread them to those who had never heard the gospel. So Paul, in the same way, is being used that way. Paul is now going to be going all the way to Rome because he's been falsely accused of bringing a Gentile into the court in the temple. And so he's been through various trials, literal trials. He's been put before judges and kings and rulers. And now he's on this ship journey. In Acts chapter 27, he boards a ship with his captors and he sails along the coast and he ends up all the way. Last week, we found him trying to go from Fair Havens in Crete to Phoenix. And then they get on the ship and as they're trying to get to Phoenix, there's a big storm that comes in and they get blown all around the Mediterranean Till they finally, through various events, end up at the island of Malta. And as they end up at Malta, that's where we landed last week. They had been through so much trial and storm and winds and waves and they had given up hope. At which point, Paul, being the only Christian on the ship apart from Luke and Aristarchus, he stands up and he says, Take heart, in Acts chapter 28, Better just read it instead of misquoting it and giving you the Mike Mingi version. In Acts chapter 27, he stands up on the ship. He says in verse 22, And now I urge you to take heart, in other words, be brave, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And he said, I know this because tonight... An angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying to me, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must first run aground on a certain island. To run aground with a ship meant to, to hit the bottom. If you've ever been on any of the rivers around here, and you've been canoeing, especially in the middle of summer, uh, there are many times where you plan on going on a one-day float and it ends up being way more time because the water's low because you've not had much rain, and you run aground and you start having to carry the thing and portage it. And so in the same way, their ship, a very large grain ship, has ended up blowing all over the ocean and it ends up there next to the island of Malta and it runs aground. We find out that they ended up on this side of the island because of the storm and they had to run aground because no ship would pass through there. The ships typically would go to the other side of the island and they would drop off grain because there was a populated area. 
And so this Roman or this uh, ship from the Roman Empire ends up there in Malta usually, but not the way that they came. They landed on a side of the island where nobody usually goes. And so they end up there. And just as the Lord told them, they land on the island of Malta. So in Acts chapter 28, verse 1, we find ourselves, and it says, when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. This is interesting because the word Malta means refuge. Remember, they've been blowing all over the Mediterranean, and the Lord provided for them a refuge. Now, it's not the way that we would pick a refuge. We don't want to be having our ship run aground, <coughs> breaking up, and then having to basically float on boards to get to shore. We want, hey, Lord, give me refuge. I want it to be an easy place of refuge. Just take me to the other side of the island where it's comfortable. But what they do is they end up on the side of Malta, meaning refuge. And it says in verse 2 that the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and they made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. <coughs> they land on this island, and if you're used to the old King Jimmy version of the Bible, we typically, I think most of us have the new King James or some other version, but in the old King James, <coughs> instead of native there, it says barbarians. Now we think of barbarians and we think of going to a museum and you see these guys that they can't speak, they're hitting each other with sticks, and they're trying to invent the wheel, and you know, those old, uh, was it Geico that had the commercials with the guy with the lowered brow? Especially during Super Bowl, you get the new Geico commercials, where they got the, you know, the caveman, so easy a caveman can do it, that's what it is. Well, barbarian does not mean that they are uncivilized. In the Greek world, in the Roman Empire, they would call someone a barbarian if they didn't speak Greek. In other words, they would come upon them and they'd try to talk to them in Greek, which I can't do any, so otherwise I'd act like I was speaking in Greek. But then they'd walk up and, they, and if somebody responded, and they would call them a barbarian because when they would speak to them, they couldn't understand it. It sounded like bar, 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 bar. That's what they... So it was a slang term for people you didn't like because they, they didn't... If you don't speak my language, you must be uncivilized. So it doesn't mean they were uncivilized, it just means that they were natives of that land and because cargo ships didn't come in, because there was, they weren't influenced by Greek culture, they had their own language. So they misunderstood them. That didn't mean they were bad people or that they hated it. You know, it just, it just meant that they couldn't understand them. So when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and he fastened on his hands. So, first of all, they show up at this island called Refuge, and they receive refuge, good tidings. The people that live there receive them. Now remember, these 276 people on the ship are all, most of them, prisoners. <coughs> Imagine, if you will, one of those big white buses with all the tinted windows shows up at your house and drops off a bunch of prisoners. What are you doing? You're saying, get out of my house. I got kids, you know, I got this going on. But they received them as if they were guests. They gave wonderful hospitality. And people that don't know the Lord, it doesn't mean that they can't give hospitality. They can be nice to you. They're not barbarians. You know, they, they have common decency, most of them. I won't say all of them, but most of them. And they receive this refuge from them. But when Paul 
had gathered a bundle of sticks. He was picking up sticks. They were building a fire for everybody that just showed up. And Paul, the first thing he does, he looks for a way to serve. Now, I don't know about you guys. I've never been shipwrecked. I've never been lost in the middle of the woods for, you know, untold weeks. But the first thing that I do, if I'm, you guys ever seen the movie Castaway? The guy's got out on the island for several years and he comes back. He, the first thing he did was he took a shower and started shaving. He took care of him. He wasn't going, hey, can I help you guys help me? Hey, no, don't, don't give me some clothes all by my own. No, he wasn't saying that. He was taking care of him. But Paul, showing up on this island, knowing that this is where God provided for him to be, he went on about doing what he always did. He looked for ways to serve. And so Paul is gathering a bundle of sticks. He's serving the people. And as he does that, a viper comes out and latches onto his hand. Doesn't just strike at him, but sinks his teeth in and holds on. Holds on. You guys ever been bitten by a, a snake? Me neither. They, they creep me out even at the zoo. When there's this thick of glass, I'm like, that's not thick enough. Get me away. So he's been latched onto by a snake. So when the natives saw the creature, verse 4, hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. They assumed he's gotten bit by one of these snakes. We know what those snakes are. That's a you know, copper-headed rattle moccasin, you know, it's going to go badly for him. He's going to swell up and he's going to die. And they looked at it like this. If something bad happens to you in your life, you must deserve it. Now, is that always the case? No. But people walk around looking at other people, whether they don't have as much financially, whether uh, they've lost all their family, you know, somebody's died in their family and they go, well, they must not be doing something right because their justice is served. But the reality is, is that bad things happen to everyone. It rains on the just and on the unjust. So Proverbs says. So the reality is, is that Paul, trying to do the will of the Lord, gets latched onto by a viper. And this group says, this guy's definitely going to die. But verse 5, look at Paul's response. He shook off the creature into the fire and he suffered no harm. He just kind of nonchalantly like brushed the thing off. I'm going like this. I'm shaking my hand around, freaking out. Oh God, why? what's going on? But he doesn't respond that way. He shakes the thing off into the fire. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time, they watched him. They saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds. He's not a scoundrel. They said that he was a god. Isn't that interesting? We look at people and we judge them and then so quickly their minds are changed. Well, he didn't die, he must be a god. They went from scoundrel to deity. They went from a, a murderer to somebody that must have charge over life. That quick. And we're fickle like that. We look at people's lives and we try to judge based on the outward. But really, let me ask you this question. This snake that bit Paul, do you think that Satan sent it to stop Paul from what he was doing? Or do you think that God allowed it 
so that the people were going to see that he was a servant of God? My answer to you would be yes. I think both. I think the bad things that happen to us in life and the way that we respond to them are two totally different things. God allows bad things, and when they do happen, we have the opportunity to give glory to God and have our confidence in Him or to panic and freak out. Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm the guy that panics and freaks out. My wife's sitting here. I can't tell a lie. She would call me out on it. But the reality is, is that though Satan will send fiery darts into our life, trying to discourage us from walking with the Lord, from serving people, God's going to use it for the good. He's going to use it for our good, because we'll be reminded where our confidence is or is not. And then he's going to use it for the good of those that are watching us respond. Because the people that see Paul respond in such a confident way, they, they start questioning like, okay, so maybe he's not a murderer. Like, what's up with this guy? That snake just killed my brother last week. You know, he's alive still. There's something different about Paul. So verse 7 says, In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us, and he entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him, he prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So they come to the island shipwrecked with nothing. The people build them a fire. Paul's looking for ways to serve as a Christian. And then after he gets done serving, he gets basically the audience of one of the leaders of the island in this native culture. And he's with them for three days, being entertained and being ministered to. And then so Paul, getting to know this Publius, gets to know that this Publius has a practical need. His practical need is that his father is sick with dysentery. Now, if you know dysentery at all, it's not a pretty thing. It, it's, it's like a, you get a microorganism that gets in your intestinal system, and then there's problems. I'll leave it at that. You can kind of picture, you know. It, so, but the reality is, is that Paul is being entertained, and he's being blessed by this man, but he's always, like I said earlier, he's looking for ways to serve. He's looking for ways to bless these people that have taken them in, not to prove that he's better than them, but to reveal to them that he is a servant of God and God can bless them way more than Paul can. So Paul finds out that this man who is blessing him has a dad that's sick with dysentery. Now in this region, in Malta, they have problems because there are lots of people that have this issue. They've got belly troubles. Well, it's because they find out later, historians tell us that these Maltese animals like goats, when they drink their milk or they eat their meat, there's, a, there's a, a pathogen or a microorganism that's in those animals that causes you when you eat them or to drink their milk to get sick. So it's common. Most everybody there had this problem. Now, they don't live in a place like we do where we have vaccinations for things. Simple things in third world countries can completely decimate families and cultures. So, 
one of the ways that God heals is through miracles. And one of the ways he does it is through giving us the smarts to come up with practicing medicine. And so Paul is used here. He goes, he sees this practical need filled with the spirit. He shows up at this guy's dad's house and he prays and he lays his hands on him and the man is healed. And because of that, all the people on the island hear this and they start showing up. It says verse 9, So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. But what I want to point out is a minute difference between what Paul did and the healing that took place in verse 9 that we just read about. Paul laid his hands on and he prayed and God did a miracle. He made this Publius's dad whole. He healed him. But if you look at verse 9, I looked up the Greek word and I don't know what it is, but my little book that I read, The Strongs, when you look up the word healed, it actually means to minister to like a physician would actually, when you go to the doctor, maybe give you some medicine or do something practical. It's not a miracle. It's God using divine intervention in medicine. And I love this because sometimes I think that you and I get the wrong idea. We think that if God's going to use us, it's either going to be a miracle or I'm going to have to share Bible verses or uh, I'm going to have to pray with people. But what I want to point out to you is sometimes the way that God opens people's eyes to the spiritual needs that they have is he meets their practical needs through you and I. And I want to point this out because just today in my chronological reading, I was in Exodus. And if you guys are reading along in this chronological Bible that we're doing as a church, I want to point out that we're at a point right now where it's, I'm bogging down. So if you're bogging down, it's okay. Uh, we're in the law. They're reading about, you know, what kind of altar to build and how big it is and how many cubits. I don't even know what a cubit is. It's 18 inches, by the way. And then it, it, what kind of goat skin and goat hair and gold and different kinds of materials. And it's, he's intricately involved. He, he's prescribing to them the way that he is to be worshipped. He's to be approached in a specific way. But in order to build this temple that he's, uh, or this tabernacle that they can travel with, he's telling them how to build it. And as he's giving them instructions on how to build it, he doesn't just say, here's how to build it. He says, I'm going to provide for you people that have the skills to build it. And so there in Acts chapter, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 35, he says there in verse 30, uh, excuse me, verse, yeah, verse 30, Exodus 35, 30, says, Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him, notice this, with the Spirit of God. Now, if you've read the book of Acts with us, you're thinking, he's getting ready to speak in tongues. He's getting ready to prophesy. He's going to do a Bible study that's going to just light people up. It's going to be awesome. But notice what it says there. He was, God has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. Two, here's what he's going to use him to do. To design artistic works to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. God's given them this ornate design for a temple. But then he gives them 
a workman who can do what he's told them to do. And, verse 34, he has put in his heart the ability to teach. In him, and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamah, of the tribe of Dan. <laughs> let's, get, let's get honest here. Most of these words, we have no idea. It's okay. Of the tribe of Dan, and he has filled them with the skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen and the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic work. My point my point is, is that the Lord fills you and I with His Holy Spirit to do more than Bible study. He fills you and I with the Holy Spirit to do practical things. We like to separate the practical from the secular. But in the Christian life, it's all about Him. We just sang that. So if you're trying to figure out, I, I really want to be a better stay-at-home mom. I really want to be a better welder. I really want to be a better... Guy that works at U.S. Tool for me. That's my thing. I have to pray, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve in the manner that you've given me to serve. If I want to be a better husband, if I want to be a better brother, if I want to be a better father, it's not about taking more classes, although those things will help. If I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit, I won't be able to do what God's called me to do. And for some of us, we feel like our calling in life is not to be as spiritual as others. How can I... Fulfill my God-given calling as a guy that works at the water department. Well, the Lord's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you can do practical things. And that's what He showed us this morning in Exodus. And so don't try to over-spiritualize things. Sometimes the way that He reaches people is by us being faithful in our jobs every day. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, healed someone miraculously. But I read a bunch of different people and what they said is that these, this group of people in verse 9, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. And that word for healed means a physician healing, not a miraculous healing. And so it's interesting to me because who's writing this book? Luke. Luke is a doctor. Luke's not just there to write stuff down. Apparently God has another calling. You're going to serve these people on this island. You're going to use the practical gift to bless these people here. A couple years ago, we went to India. And one of the ladies that came with us is a hairstylist. She cuts hair. She's a barber. Well, not a barber. We call him a, a beautician. So we go to India. Well, how can we use a beautician in India? Well, over the course of a day and a half, she cut 70 heads of hair. And what was amazing is many people look at that and they go, well, how in the world can God use that to show the love of Jesus? Well, they didn't have a barber where they could go to and spend 7 to $12 a head and get these orphans haircut. So her showing up and doing haircuts is a big deal. They were in a hot, dry climate. They were warm. Cut my hair. And they all got super thick hair. It's awesome. I wish I had like half of their thickness of hair. <laughs> anyway, my point is, is that I think sometimes we overlook the practical ways that God wants to reach the people in this area and notice that Paul was sent to Malta because of a shipwreck. I don't know how each one of you ended up in the Arcadia Valley. I'm not saying it was a shipwreck. I'm saying that whatever it was, good, bad, and otherwise, you ended up here for a reason and there's a group of people that only you can reach. Only you. 
I can't reach him. I'm at US Tool all day. You know, uh, Stacy can't reach him. He's all over the place welding stuff. He's got a whole different mission field. Where's your mission field? Where have you been placed directly by God? And are you looking for ways to serve the people that he's placed you around? So verse 11. They left in verse 10. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. They came to the island with nothing. They left having blessed the people there. And they also left with provisions to keep going. And notice how they left. Verse 11. After three months, meaning winter is over, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers. There's another grain ship coming along the same route and they end up by the island of Malta and they pick up the 276 castaways. Their time there was done. God was moving them on to the next place. So they get on a ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers. The, the carving on the front of the ship was two men and there, there were the twin brothers. They were said to be the sons of Zeus and they were the protectors of all who would sail on the sea. Now we know that these are just images, they're idols, they're carved gods. We don't trust in chariots or horses. We don't trust in carved images. We trust in the living God who is in us and with us. But nonetheless, this is what the ship had on it. And it had wintered at the island there in Malta. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. And from there, we circled around and we reached Regium. So here we are, they reached Syracuse. They sailed from there. And then they reached Regium. They're finally, finally in Italy. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli. So all of a sudden, this journey has kind of sped up quite a bit, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days. So we went toward Rome, and from there, when the brethren heard about us, apparently there was already Christians there. Paul's never been to Rome but there's still Christians there. So it shows that the growth of the church in the early church, it's not all about Paul. We just get a zoom-in version of Paul's life through these last several chapters. But there are other people that are being just as intentional as Paul, just that Luke isn't with them to write it down. And then, from there, they, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as API Forum and three inns. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. I want you to notice that these brethren, when they came down to see... Oh, I can't reach that. That's not going to happen. But they sailed and they landed there at Puteoli. That sounds Italian, right? And then it says that he travels basically up to Forum of Appii, or Appius, and then to a town called Three Taverns. I think I've been through there before. It's on the way to Desert. <laughs> just joking, I don't know. So they, they, there's those two towns, and as he's traveling, people are so excited to see Paul. They, they've heard of him. And Paul's actually already written a letter to the Roman church. So when he shows up, they're looking for him. They're excited. So they travel from Rome down to three taverns, and then down to Forum of Appius. So they meet him there. Some of them, I'm sure, traveled with him to three taverns. But the funny thing is, the distance from Rome to those two towns is, respectively, to three taverns, 30 miles. And from Rome to uh, Forum of Appius is 40 miles. 
They went that far. They wanted to encourage Paul. Remember, Paul's been falsely accused. That's why he's coming to Rome. So they've been blessed by Paul. They've got a heart to bless him. So they, they travel 40 miles to encourage him. So I, I pose the question to you, how far are you willing to go to encourage a brother or sister in Christ? Is it 30 miles? Is it 40 miles? Maybe you going the extra mile isn't actually a distance, but it's serving them in some way. I love this about the people. They served Paul because they'd been blessed by him because they loved him. And they'd never met him. I, I don't think any of them had ever met him. Here's the other thing I want to point out. Paul's now on his way to Rome, and he's almost there. You know how long it's been since the Lord told him in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, just as you've testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify of me in Rome? It's been two years. Two years. Paul held on to that scripture, and that's what got him through. That's what got him through the shipwreck. That's what got him through all the different trials testifying before kings. And he's finally there in Rome. So in verse 16, it says, when, he came, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. He, hadn't, he wasn't accused of a violent crime, so they let him basically rent his own house and live there. And so people provided for him so he could do that. But he's chained to a guard 24 hours a day. Not like really close, but can you imagine being Paul, uh, chained to Paul the Apostle for four hours at a time? I mean, this guy's probably constantly talking about Jesus. If you don't know the Lord and you're chained to somebody that knows the Lord, it's annoying. It's like, when is this guy going to stop? I heard it. Give me a minute, you know. But I think as time went on, there are many who came to Christ because of Paul being chained to them. And we know this because if you look at some of the epistles, it actually says that, uh, actually, turn with me to Romans chapter 16. And in Romans chapter 16, it says there, he's basically greeting all the people that he had come into contact with in the Roman church. He says there in his letter, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, verse 3, My fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. He says, likewise, greet the church that's in their house. Apparently that's where they used to meet. He said, greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the uh, first fruits of Achaia to Christ. But then go down there to, um, let's see here. I don't see it. Oh, in verse 21. He says, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. He says, I, Tertullius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. He had a guy writing for him. He is, uh, I thought it was in here. I can't find it. <laughs> Does anybody see it? He, bit, he says, basically, all of Caesar's, all, all of the, the people from the church in Rome greet you. I think I'm in the wrong epistle. But then he says, even some of the church in Rome, or some of Caesar's own household, greet you. And I can't find it, and I'll find it for next week. I'm sorry. Um, I really thought I had that one. But basically, he says, all of those in Rome greet you of the church, especially those from the household of Caesar. And when he's saying that, he's referring to the guards that worked in Caesar's house the guards that had watched over him. 
And so I wonder if some of those guys who had originally been chained to Paul couldn't stand the guy, heard the gospel, received Christ, and then later they're like, hey, I'll trade you duty. I'll sit with Paul and you can go on a different day because, man, he's really been, he's been telling me what happened in the church in Galatia and I really want to hear the rest of what happened. He was right at the point in a Bible study where I was excited and I had to change the guard. Maybe I could sit with him tonight and I'll trade you for tomorrow night's duty. You know, and, and I think that that was what was happening. He was, no matter what situation he was in, whether he was chained to somebody, whether he was on a ship, getting ready to be shipwrecked, in all of those things, he saw that God was using them so that he could share the gospel with people. He was very intentional about that. There's no coincidences in the Christian life. But in order for us to realize that in everyday life, I think sometimes we need to realize and we need to hear the words of God. Because one more reference in Mark chapter 16, Paul just shakes this snake off in Malta. And I think sometimes we think, well, Paul was just a really confident guy. But I, I would submit to you that it wasn't because of his confidence in himself, but it was because he had taken God's word, he had read it, he took it seriously, and he took it personally. And I think that he remembered what Mark had written down in Mark chapter 16. If you read it in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, this is what Jesus had told his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's pretty blunt with that, straightforward. Go into the world, this is your purpose, the church. Go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these things will follow those who believe. Signs and wonders is basically what he's going to say. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So Paul, on the island of Malta, this is his ministry. He lays hands on the sick. They recover. He takes up serpents, which I think this is a verse that's greatly taken out of context. We have entire denominations in the hills that like to take up serpents and basically tempt the Lord with poisonous snakes. That's why I always joke with people, yeah, we're a church plant, but we don't get the snakes out till you get to know us a little better. You don't have to drink the Kool-Aid yet. You know, actually, I've never told anybody that. That would creep them out. <laughs> Go easy. But he, was, he took up a serpent, but not because he was picking it up. He got bit by one. And he wasn't worried about that thing killing him because if God's done with me, then I'm going to die. And if he's not done with me, then I'm invincible. And the reality is, in the, in the Christian life, we are totally invincible. We can take risks in the Lord. I'm not talking about tempting the Lord. I'm talking about doing hard things for the Lord. And when Paul was trying to serve, he was totally confident that if God wanted him to stay on this earth, and he was, because in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, God told him, you're going to go to Rome. Well, he's not there yet, so if he gets bit by a snake, he's not going to die, because otherwise that means God's a liar, and God cannot lie. Not only is he not a liar, but he cannot lie. So when he says something in his word, look for it to be fulfilled, because it will. So let me ask you this morning, Paul, in this spot, has been through shipwreck, he's been stoned to death nearly, um, he's been persecuted, 
He's been falsely accused. He's been put to trial. And in all these things, he told the elders at Ephesus, he said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me so that I may finish the race and fulfill the calling that God has given me. So number one, what are the things that are shaking you right now? What are the things that are taking you? And maybe you wouldn't say, I don't trust the Lord with this area of my life, but maybe you would say, I have trouble trusting the Lord with this area of my life. What are the things that happen in your life that cause you to waver in obeying the Lord's commands? And then number two, I would say, when was the last time that in your daily devotional you said, Lord, give me a specific verse that will keep me through the trials that I'm gonna experience today? I was telling somebody a testimony. Uh, We were at church last Wednesday night in Farmington. The pastor was teaching Psalm 27. And there was a period in my life where I had opened up the word and said, Lord, this thing is too much for me. I need a word from you. And it was Psalm 27. I read it. And it was for me right then. And God used that set of verses to bring me through two years and to continue to trust him. It says there at the end of Psalm chapter 27, it says, I would have lost heart had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And maybe that doesn't reach you where you're at right now. But that's what God used for me for two years. But this week, the Lord was showing me, I'm not the God of two years ago. I'm not the God of seven years ago. I'm the God of today, and I want to impact you today. I want you to be confident in my work in your life. And so I I want to speak to you each and every day what you need to get through the trials you're going to experience. And since I've already seen them, I know what you need. So maybe the thing that you're struggling with, the trials that so easily ensnare you, the things that cause you to be tempted and to give up on the Lord, maybe it's because you're not receiving something from Him that He wants to bring you through with. A lunch lunch sack to get you through the day of God's Word. I want to challenge you this week as you spend time with the Lord, and I hope you do every day. Take that time. I'm not saying read a whole book. Take that time and read a few verses of scripture, wherever you're at. Maybe you don't have a spot. Go to the gospel, start in John. Go somewhere where God is speaking through his word. Because this word isn't just the word for the church corporately, it's the word for you personally. And God says in the Psalms, he says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I think sometimes we stumble just because we're not using the flashlight. We're in a dark world. The Lord's given us light to walk by. And sometimes I think we just stumble around in the dark because we just won't click the thing on. Click the thing on. And as you're having your daily devotional, say, Lord, I don't get most of what they're telling me right now. And if you're honest, most of us, there's a lot of passages where I'm like, I don't get it. But say, Lord, speak to me something that I'm gonna need today because I know that I need you and I have a temptation to trust in myself. I'm gonna trust in you. And what's cool is that when you do that, like I did this morning, he gives you a passage in Exodus that might seem completely mundane, but reveal to you the realities that God is working in the spiritual and in the practical. And that he's going to fill you with this Holy Spirit to do the practical just as well as the spiritual. And what you're going to find out is that God's going to use those practical things in your life to reveal to you your own spiritual bankruptcy and need. 
And then he's going to use you to reveal in other people's lives their needs as well. Not only practical needs, but the spiritual need for Jesus. And so, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that though you are the Savior of the world, you sent Jesus to die for the sins of every person, every creature. That you are also a very personal God who has died for the sins of each individual here, including myself. And you did that so that we could have personal fellowship with you that would do just like it did for Paul, bring him through the rough seas to an island of refuge where he could not only receive refuge, but also give refuge to the people there. Lord, we are in Arcadia Valley. That's our island of refuge. And there are many people that never get introduced to your son Jesus. And so Lord, my prayer for us as a church is that we would have individual time with you that would overflow through us and cause us, even in the shipwrecks, to find ourselves in places that we never went before. To the people that have never been reached in this valley. There are many churches, but Lord, we have to go outside of your church to the other side of the tracks, as it were, to the hill countries, the places where no one has ever shared the gospel or maybe no one has ever done anything practical in your name that will open people's eyes to their need for Jesus. And so Lord, I pray that you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit so that we could receive the nourishment that we need daily and so that you will be glorified in our lives and that we would reach every person in this valley before you return, Lord. We want to take as many people with us to heaven as we can. So Lord, use us, sanctify us, and Lord, change us so that our desire will be your same desire, so that we can be like Paul, going through the fiery furnace, as it were, being bit by snakes, shaking them off, and keep moving. Lord, you're not finished with us yet until we breathe our last. And so Lord, use each day for your purposes. And in the meantime, Lord, we, we're getting ready to take communion. And so Lord, examine our hearts Help us to judge ourselves so that we won't be judged. And Lord, I pray that as we take this communion, that you would speak to us the things that you are still wanting to do. Lord, you saved us. You're changing us. And Lord, uh, we know that you have a reason for that. There are people that you still want to reach through our lives. And so Lord, reveal to us your plan for today. And Lord, help us to find confidence in what you're already doing. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to take communion. We're going to do it like we typically do, where we